process means what? That you have a plan? You and, have and a you plan. You make, you make a long-term plan and you have a short-term plan and you stick with it. Uh, of course, sometimes you have to deviate, but it's, you, you have to have your things in order. And you have to know what you want to achieve and you have to do to know that um, short-term and long-term. And, and, I, and I think that's, that's the only way of staying focused. Hello, my name is Luis de Oliveira, founder of Dal Spada, and this is A Place to Talk. Today, we are at the Burns Hotel in Normalm, Stockholm, meeting Karen Vickberg, Chief Marketing Officer at Castal, a long-established rug manufacturer. She brought up the struggle for brands to stay relevant today and how marketing should never rest on its laurels. So let's get right to it. Hey, Karen, tell me about um, how things started um, at BA all those years ago, how you ended up with that job and what came out of it? Well, hi, Louis. Um, yeah, I started my career in, in the airline business. Uh, it's over 20 years ago now. And uh, I was really interested in, in the airline industry as, as a whole because my mother had been an air stewardess in the 60s. My sister was working in the airline industry and I just thought it was a really interesting was it interesting or glamorous? It was glamorous, I think, in the 60s. And that's how my mother portrayed it to me. However, it, it was still a little bit glamorous, but not, not to the extent that I was, was, was thinking about it. But uh, I was lucky enough to get into the business. And I started here in Stockholm. And I got a job as sales and marketing manager, managing the Nordic region. And, uh, and I stayed here for five, six years. Why was the job combined you just said sales and marketing, mm. so it's it was a role. fairly small team. So um, we were mainly looking after um, marketing that came from the UK that we interpreted into the Swedish um, market, and then on the sales side, I was managing the key accounts in the leisure okay. uh, business, and um, and it was a time that was really exciting. You know, British Airways at the time in Sweden was the main rival to SAS, and we were very aggressive. Um, there was a lot of um, a lot of money put into the investments in this market as well. So it was really um, it was a really good learning curve for me. I learned everything about sales and negotiations and pricing and distribution, uh, as well as the marketing. But ta- not developing the marketing at the time, uh, but taking the um, uh, the templates that came out of the UK. Then I'd done this job for a few years, and uh, I, I was curious of looking into to moving abroad. And then my boss at the time saw an opportunity and, and suggested that I, maybe I should do an MBA with British Airways. So I started traveling to the UK a lot more often. And, and, uh, and then uh, through my network, I was lucky enough to be called to an interview with, um, with the marketing team in, in London. Which ironically, you, all you had done was just receive their materials and exactly, process yeah. it. But, but in turn, then just learning a lot about it as well and looking at why was it done in this way and how could we interpret it to suit the Swedish or the Nordic market um, because British Airways in the home market in the UK is very different from what it is abroad. So we, we kind of did that ad- adaptation, but still taking everything that was done centrally. And uh, yes, yeah, so then I took on a job in, in London, which was just going to be for six months to 12 months, uh, which was a fabulous job, looking after all the advertising in the UK at the time for the UK market and running all the big campaigns that were called um, world offers at the time. Um, so at that time, I had to just 
learn everything about the UK market as well as learning about developing campaigns and looking at all the different um, parts of the campaigns that we did. We did TV and radio and and direct mail at the time, which doesn't really exist anymore. And no, it's long gone. Yes, it's changed a lot since then, but I learned about all the different um, parts of the marketing mix. Um, and it was fascinating and it was really different working in the UK because all of a sudden I wasn't just a one-man band, which I was here in Sweden. Uh, I, I was working with all the different functions in the headquarters, which was really, really fun and interesting and working with really skilled people and getting to know, um, you know, more the in-depth part of the business. So did, did um, let me try to position this moment in time. Uh, there's a campaign that stuck to me uh, over the years and it's this choral classical piece of music sung mm. against uh, a, a, a TV ad where people would come and meet together. Is that the moment that you're working? That's in, at least in the UK. That's like an iconic. Uh, it's campaign. a very, it's a very Is iconic. Is that when you were were around? I was around. I wasn't part of developing that campaign, and the, the piece is called Lacme. Okay. Uh, that was done by the central, the global marketing team, who worked more on the the branding part of marketing. I was more in the execution and operational. Uh, driving the, the activities in the UK market. But but I was around at that time and we always used that as a sound on our TV commercials and everything that we did and of course on board. It's funny so, how it's so, really, really stuck around for, for 20 years, right? Because that's, we, we, we must be now in the mid-90s, late-90s, right? We were in the late, yeah, mid to late-90s, exactly. That's when that campaign came about. And uh, I think it's still very rec recognizable with British Airways. And so suddenly you, you, you go into the airline business because it was glamorous. You realize that it isn't quite as glamorous. And, and, and by now you're doing marketing, mm, right? Mm. What is marketing? What is engaging with people? It's engaging with people who have some kind of interest in, in your brand uh, and really pulling all the levers you can to make sure that the right message hit at the right time. And, uh, and it's a skill. It's really difficult because, you know, people move in generations, they move um, through their life, you know, they have different interests and and, uh, and economy plays a big part of it, this of course, but it's about being really clever and being on top all the time what's going on out there and what the competition is doing, of course, is it's super important. I've been lucky to, through the majority of my career, been working with leading brands and that's also, it also comes with, with a challenge because you always seem to be, to be driving what people should be following and uh, you have to be super creative in order to kind of push yourself forward I all the I time. I thought you could just lie back and let the orders Absolutely roll. Absolutely not. No? You have very, you have to some work very, hard. very good, good brands out there in every business and uh, you can never relax. Why? There was something interesting that you said when you were trying to define marketing for me, which was the right time, mm. right? Getting that timing right. Mm. Do you, do you want to talk to me a little bit more about that? Because I think when I look at marketing, I think organization, right? And scheduling and time, not timing in, in how to find a consumer open or the customer open to you, but, you know, saying that, well, it's April, so we have to do this in April. But I, I get a feeling that when you said the right time, it's something more subtle than that. Is that correct? It is correct. I mean, there are two parts of it. The timing is also from a commercial perspective, which is one part. So when when do by commerce you mean the schedule? When, of the when do people travel in general, yeah. and when is a good time for us to go out there and talk to people about booking flights, for example? 
but it's also about timing from a consumer perspective. And that's much more about understanding how the consumer lives and behaves. That was tougher back in the days, 20 years ago. Now we have a lot more information, you know, through social media and, and everything that we can analyze today. We can really see how people are, are, are searching uh, things at different times. It was tougher because what surveys were the only way to 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 look into ha- people's habits. Or exactly, people's exactly. Surveys and, and also at British Airways, we had a very big database of people who who were signed up to receive communications from us, and we could we could use that in a very clever way in terms of targeting our messaging as well. Uh, kind of looking at patterns of how people were behaving and booking at the time. Did, did that? Did those surveys feel accurate? Or did you, do you look back at them now and say, we really didn't have a clue? I think they were fairly accurate. I mean, you have to take it with a pinch of salt, but it was everything we had. And, and it turned out that what, what we did was very successful commercially. And, and we, did, we did push the needle all the time. Um, yeah, you can say maybe some of the campaigns may not have been as successful as others, but what we had to go with was, was fairly accurate, I must say. Push the needle meant that you had identified when they would be looking for you exactly. or hoping to hear from you. Or hoping to hear from you. We could even preempt sometimes uh, and, and pushing our boundaries to, to fit our commercial needs. And then you go out and tease people in a different way as opposed to going right in the target time. So London lasts how many years? Is it? London lasts for five years. You miss it? I miss it a lot. Yes, London is always, always very close to my heart. And I, I miss British Airways. It was, uh, you know, I did so many years there and working in the headquarters. But London is, um, is a fascinating place. And I mean, having lived in Stockholm for many years, um, you come to London, it's so much more multicultural and vibrant and free in a way. It's, you can just do whatever you want. You sure? I live there and I can't do whatever I want. No, not whatever you want. But, you know, it's... In a small city, people are much know more each co- other. Yeah, exactly. Okay, that's a fair point. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm intrigued by the fact that I know that you're now working in our industry, and airlines somehow couldn't feel further away. And a lot, well, apart from the fact that our industry spends a lot of time on airlines, but <laughs> traveling around, but the the jump is a, is for me a significant one since. Um, the industry often lives off its own people, right? We're, we're, we're a nice village, but the villagers remain the same. Mm. What what conclusions have you drawn uh, from the differences between what you did at BA and what you're doing now uh, for Castel? I think I think it's a big difference, as you say, and uh, being start with the scale, right? The scale is much smaller. I mean, I've worked with large companies for many years, quite a few large blue chip companies, and I've also worked with with a few smaller companies. And again, that that that, just that is a big change. Um, But comparing the airline industry with the design world that we are within, um, I think one word is passion. So you have people in this industry that are really passionate about what they do. They often come from a from design background or some kind of craftsmanship, some kind of furniture. So they're happy to be here. I'm very right. happy to be here. Uh, it feels very warm. It's very creative. Um, it's like a family as well. I mean, we have a lot of collaborations within the industry, um, which is very different from where I come from before than 
both in the airline industry and in other industries I've worked with in here, here it's a family. You share, you collaborate, you work together, you do exhibitions together and, and you help out. Do you think that's unique to us or, or is it just the fact that we're all small companies trying to do our best in a way? Well, they're not just all small companies. There are some big companies in this industry as well, but I... No, I think it's just something to do with passion. Hey, that's lovely to hear. Yeah. I, I'm sure there are a few passionate BA people as well, but... Absolutely, but in a different way. It's it's much more commercial here. It's, I mean, when I came to Castal, it was it's just over a year ago now, and... Um, and people are talking about the brand like talking about a baby. It's it's so fascinating to see how people are so attached to the to the product, the brand, the vision, everything that we can be doing um, to become an even bigger part of this industry. Um, don't you miss I, the lack of resources? Though? No, hold on. Don't you miss the near infinite resources that the very large companies have when they roll out of bed and say this will happen? And this is the way I imagine big companies, right? Yeah, or big yeah, industries. Yeah. You have that safety net in a big company. Here you don't. And here you really have to roll up your sleeves and do everything yourself, which which I like as well. It's, you know, very you're very close to the product. You're very close to the market. It's hard work. And of course, resources, uh, when it comes to financial resources, is very different from a blue chip company. However, you have to be clever about it. And that's why I think maybe coming back to what you just said, collaborations do pop up because we're small companies with smaller budgets. And so it is, it is a part of that. But I think it's also being, being interested in other brands in a, in a different way, not seeing others as competition. But, you know, I, I did ask you about infinite resources. And yet I had something in the back of my mind as I was asking you that, which is the fact that to me, the world feels much flatter for better and for worse. Let's speak on Instagram, right? The Instagram page is the same. Let's forget the number of followers. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the same page for a small organization as well as BA or any other large mm -hmm. company. Mm -hmm. And so in, in many ways, we, you know, we're, we've been flattened. We've been all leveled off. Doesn't that open opportunities for small companies? Indeed it does, yes. Uh, and taking Instagram as an example, I mean that that's our that's our window to the world at the moment, together with our website. And and yes, we are the same as any other big or small company. So it is it is an opportunity, and it's about standing out. It's about creating this kind of thumb stopping content that that really gets people engaged. And perhaps in a smaller company like I am in today, it's we we can just go into the factory and and shoot, produce content. produce content all the time. And we have so many amazing people in the factory. We have a beautiful factory in itself with everything it stands for and everything that comes out of there. So we can produce content every day. But are people really listening? Don't you get the feeling sometimes that social media has become so noisy? <laughs> it has, but you also have an opportunity to select what you want to see. That's different from from traditional advertising and, and marketing, I believe. Then, you know, if you look back at TV advertising or or print advertising, then you yes, you could skip through it, but it was still there. Here you have you have your list of, of brands you want to follow and you follow them for a reason. 
So, so you as the receiver is, is in charge. So you have in all there's a proliferation of accounts, mm. right? And yeah. a, a vast number of places to go. Exactly. You, you've got sufficient confidence in that people who choose to follow Castell somehow will stick to you guys, will, will not get distracted and switch off. Because I it's a very deliberate choice. It is, and I hope not. So we have to be on our toes all the time to ensure that we do have engagement, we do reach the right kind of followers, and, and that we never stop. What have you brought over from, from that early part of your career that is a must-do now in, in what you're doing day to day? What are like the, the lessons, the habits... Well, I, what I come, what, what I learned in, in these big companies is a lot about processes, and it's a lot about you know doing things in the right way, not just process means what that you have a plan. You have a you plan. You make you make a long term plan, and you have a short term plan, and you stick with it. Uh, of course, sometimes you have to deviate, but it's you, you have to have your things in order, and you have to know what you want to achieve, and you have to do to know that um, short term and long term, and and I and I think that's. That's the only way of staying focused. Um, was that a lesson that was really clear, made clear to you at BA? Yes. And that somehow is missing in the smaller Yes, I think so. I mean, enterprise. everything from creating a business case and following up, it's, it's, I don't think it's common practice in this industry, for example. And, and you oh, know, it's ooh. just about that commerciality that, that is instilled in me that is so important that everything you do has to make a return on investment. Um, so, so I think that's slightly different from from the norm in this industry, so to speak. And, and you mentioned short term and long term, mm. right? What, what, what is sh this short term planning? How is it different from the long term planning? What, what are you? Well, the long term planning is setting a vision. Where do we want to be in three or five years time? Where okay. Do you know, who do we want to reach and in which markets do we want to be? And, and the short term uh, is all about delivering here and now. So, for example, this week here at Stockholm Furniture Fair is, is a super important um, activity for us. And it's something that we need to plan way ahead, you know, for years. How do we want this to look in two years' time or three years' time? How do you want your presence in the fair to look? Or how do you, what is it that you're planning to two to three years' time? It's how can we, how can we keep engaging our people? How can we not just look the same? Every over year. and over again, okay. and, and and that was something we did very clearly this year. And I think it became a bit of a wow factor. And for me, that's important. You have to do that all the time. You can't just sit back, as I said before, and relax. You have to be on your toes. And and it's hard now to set a plan, of course, a detailed plan for three to five years' time. But I have a vision, which I'm not going to share with you today. I but hear you, but but at least it's, it's been you know put. Uh, forwards to your colleagues and it's, it's become part of it's the very, plan for yeah, business. Yeah, it's very clear where we want to become, uh, what we want to be in the next three to five years' time, yes. So contrast me, what is by far the biggest change between that world when you were starting and where you are now? You, you, we mentioned a moment ago how much easier it is to understand, to gather information on our audience, right, on our clients and friends. Um, is that the biggest change, the access to information? Or is there something else that you think is an even bigger change? I think that is the main part of it. Um, but it's also about how people are behaving today in a different way. I think we're becoming 
a little bit more switched off when it comes when it comes to marketing, which is why it's so important to be. Is, is that clear in your mind that people 20 years ago filtered less I th- I think marketing so. messages I think so. or communication compared yeah. to today? Yeah, and we didn't have the opportunity to do so back in the days. Now everything is, it's so fast and it's there in your face all the time. And, you know, wherever you go, you see messages that are supposedly targeted to you. Um, and, and it's not a bad thing. I think the the decision is with you, uh, and that's what's so different. And if you if you do something that people don't like, they will switch off, and that that's the fear, of course. So it's a much more punishing world, is, right? Yeah. On on the business trying to to reach out. Exactly. So what kind of businesses does this new world favor then? What kind of businesses are most likely to to do well out of this more demanding? Don't talk to me unless I'm interested mm-hmm. world. Is it businesses that are full of passion? That sounds No, probably easy not. Answer. <laughs> no, but it's no, I don't think so. I think we, we're sitting on a um, in an industry that is very appealing to people and you know, if you're interested in design um, in this world then then you will I think you're more likely to stick with it as opposed to other industries. But if you look at the types of data we have today and how people can really switch off and on. I mean, e-commerce is is a perfect example of how you can make it or break it with the right kind of messaging and targeting and, and products that are available. Um, and and looking looking at that whole movement now, it's uh, it's super clever how they can just analyze data and and switch their business and, pretty and, quickly and without having that yes, whole and take a, a decision of organization and taking really quick decisions. Don't you get the feeling that we're somehow not uh, delivering on our potential as an industry? Yes, I think so. All right, so this is is like an industry confession. So what can we do better? (laughs) You you said planning. I said planning, yeah. I said... uh, So the potential is there, right? That we have the ability to reach out to more people. Mm. I think if you are a global brand... Uh, as we are, you have to really think about how our products are targeted to different people in different parts of the world. There should still be the same DNA, of course, and the same core messaging and core product offering. But it could be very well be so that a consumer in the Netherlands doesn't necessarily want the same kind of color palette as the person in the USA. And and this is something that you don't see as common. I don't you see, see most of us, most of us colleagues right providing the same thing for everyone to to digest yes take it or leave it take it or leave it and if you are a brand that has an appealing look and feel to the american market you do really well um but and i'm not saying you should have different product offerings everywhere it's about you know turning the dealer a little bit in every market to ensure that you do have the right kind of But offering. by now you've got the product design mm. department mm. up in arms mm. saying you're you're trying to mess around with us uh, not not really, we, but it's also about how you market that or picking out products in your portfolio that is more appealing in a certain market than others. And I can't give any examples, but I'm just seeing that 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 is something that we probably can do better. It's, it's you know coming back to this thing about being targeted and being being relevant all the time and and really listening into what people are looking for. We we recently did a research. Uh, in my company, and and it was very obvious that there there are different needs. 
when it comes to service, when it comes to products, when it comes to design. Um, but but again, keeping it all together under the brand that you're you're already famous for. So not going out and do different things everywhere. What you're saying sounds like common sense, right? Mm. It really has that. Mm. So why ha- why haven't brands in our industry adopted that? Is that because they're too much in love with their product? What, what, what's prevented us from doing that? I can't really answer that. It could be that they are very much in love with it and they have a, a certain aesthetic and feel, look and feel that, that they don't want to deviate away from them and, and that's, that's okay. But it could be a way to further success. That's what I'm saying. Okay. Hey, you know, I'm, I'm listening to you and um, I'm thinking about your career of how it, it's, it's, um, it's gone from one end of the spectrum to the other. And how you've lived through change, right? Um, this is probably, I, I don't know, I guess everybody says my decade or my two decades have been the ones with the greatest change, but we, we might have been repeating this uh, over the generations. And I'm also thinking about how, how you see the concept of career as you look back, right? There was upon a time careers were these linear things. Once upon a time, at a certain age, people ba- began thinking of the golf buggy mm. and, and retiring. Mm. It, it looks to me like you're, 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 you're not over yet. <laughs> Absolutely not. I feel like Are I'm you in- surprised though? I bet when you were starting, I, I am a little bit surprised. By a certain age, by a certain milestone, right? You would be doing certain things, but you're not. You've you found yourself a new industry. Mm. You've had to somehow reinvent yourself as the world around you changed. Mm. And it sounds to me like you're, you're hanging in there. So I'm not just hanging in there. I'm still climbing, I think. It's, uh, no, it's, it's fascinating. I never, saw, I never saw myself being this kind of diverse. So I was in the travel industry. Then I was in media. Then I had my own furniture business. Uh, then I was in the beauty area for a while. And, and, and then recently for the last you know, few years, I've been in, in this world. And, and what I do is I, I choose the brands that I work with very carefully. They have to have something that stands out that really appeals to me, uh, either in terms of scale or in terms of, you know, this passion that I keep talking about. And, uh, and it's been global brands, it's been Swedish brands. And, and, you know, I pick things with me from all over the place and I build my little, my little fort. And but why, why do marketeers who are targeting people who are roughly in our stage in life or, uh, you know, add, add even a few more years, right? Kind of assume that we're, that, that nothing else is going to happen. When in fact, you're demonstrable proof that, that things do happen, right? No matter what age you are. Um, but marketing gets it wrong a lot when it's talking to people above a certain age. Do you, do you agree? Mm. Because, I, and then do you sit there and say, that's not me. That's not the world that I am in. I'm reinventing myself. I, you just told me you started a business, right? Mm. I've joined one to two companies recently that had nothing to do with the early part of my career. So you're proving this cliche wrong. Why are they making this mistake? Are they not looking at the data? <laughs> <laughs> then maybe not, maybe not. Um, I mean, I, do you agree with my premise that marketing hasn't yet looked at people and looked at their working lives and realized that they're they're much more diverse and they mm. continue over a much longer period of time. Mm. Than, is it because all marketeers are young people and so they assume that they assume certain things? I think 
I think we can do a much better job, actually. And I think the, the people in, in my age group uh, have to be really, really reinventing themselves all the time to understand that this world is changing rapidly. And and me, I'm also looking at myself as a consumer and, um, you know, passionate about design and, you know, the world that I work within. And how would I personally would like to be to be informed about? Um, Isn't this interest in design a new thing? Is no, no, no. It's always been there with it's, me. It's, it goes back. It so goes it's a threat back. Throughout your life. Yeah, it's, I've always been interested in design, and I've always, yeah, worked, you know, with my home all the time and reinventing it, and and um, I love it. I love my home, and I see that as my fortress. And then I bring things in from all over the world to my fort, um, and I've been lucky being in this. Why, why do you need a fortress? Because my life, uh, as you just said, my career has been very, you know, diverse. Diverse, and my life is diverse. I have, you know, I've had three children along the way, and things just happen in life. I moved abroad a few times in my life, um, and and I just see it as a constant. So, is it's a fort protecting you from what? From all, all this change? No, just making me feel, you know, I mean, harmony is my lead word, and I always need to feel in harmony in my home. And that's why I keep reinventing it all the time. And now being fortunate enough to be in this in this industry, I can I can do that even even further because it's given me greater exposure to a lot of beautiful brands that I wasn't aware of before. Is you, you've just put the home at, at you know at, at the heart of yourself? It's like a very very important place. This is a statement that's almost become cliche, right? <laughs> If it was true, both Castal and many other companies would be selling 20 times as much or 100 times as much. So can't, people value their homes, but they seem to value holidays more and get on an airline. I can't speak for the others, Lewis. It's, I, I, I've traveled the world. Uh, I keep traveling the world, but I still see my but home. I, but I mean, do you think that we, we are being a little complacent, assuming that people value their homes as much as you do? Do we have to work harder to to talk about mm. this thing? Okay, now you're coming into something very interesting, and I think it's about longevity of products. And uh, um, yes, people, particularly at an older age group, are more interested in investing in pieces in their homes for life, and okay. potentially even to pass down to their children, which right. is the way I think about when I buy, you know, beautiful... When you make an investment. When I make an investment. And... Uh, and Younger people in general don't have the possibility of doing so, and they are potentially not as uh, building their fortress as, as I do. I think potentially it's a different later part in life that you have the opportunity to do so. But, um, and I can't speak for other people, I just feel that my home is becoming more important to me because of my life is, is constantly evolving in other ways. Uh, and I hope that I can inspire other people. And I'm using, I'm using my communications in at my profession to talk about it this way, to talk about investments. Doesn't, to talk doesn't about it re reflect? I mean, there is an association, a connection between things that last and 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 their cost. It's not always direct, but mm -hmm. it's it's there often mm -hmm. enough. And and doesn't the fact that you you are valuing it um, imply that you've you've worked for? two decades and and so you've managed to build up a certain amount of 
I don't know, savings or, or, or income that allows you to do this. And, and therefore, our message is when we communicate uh, with younger people, the message is relevant because there's just no, no means to buy this product. You know, mm. if, if this is true, mm. then, and, and that's why you can do it, and that's why they can't. Mm. If this is true, is there anything that we can say or just plant seeds and hope for the best? No, we need to be clever about that and you need to get, engage with, with the younger audience that don't have this potential. However, they, sh they should also be in the product portfolio um, products Things that, that you are can connect exactly, that you can that start you can with. You can, it could be a smaller part, smaller piece, or it could be accessories or something that gets you into the brand and you want to create that desire. So this is a theme very similar to the idea of selling across borders, mm -hmm. right? Where mm -hmm. you, you look at your product line mm -hmm. and then you have to somehow reflect what the needs or interests of people in different parts of the world are. You're also saying, hey, look at the whole age group which forms society and and a good brand owes it to itself to reach out to all of them. Yeah. And I mean, looking at our product portfolio, our rugs are anything from 150 euros per square meter up to 800 euros per square meter. So we have products for, for most for, people. For different budgets. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Hey, it's been lovely talking to you. And uh, thank you so much. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for joining our conversation and help us make new friends by leaving us a review. And don't forget to hit that subscribe button. Stay well and see you soon.